everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and today we have another one of my favorite kinds of episodes, a weekly roundup of sorts, a smorgasbord of films uh, to talk about. I spent January uh, paying the man, so to speak, the AMC man. They uh, they took my money from me real quick. Uh, <laughs> the uh, $20 that I paid, 22 bucks for AMC A-List, I did not go to the movies at all in January. So that went straight in AMC's pocket. And I am vowing that this February and beyond, I will be getting my revenge. And I have done so already this week, seeing two movies uh, and I'd like to call it the uh, the Branagh double feature because I saw two Kenneth Branagh directed films, Belfast and Death on the Nile. Uh, and so I will be talking about both of those movies. Before we do, though, this week was also a unique week in that we got the full list of nominations for the Oscars, the 2022 Oscars, which just as we would have expected each and every year, there's some interesting things. There's some uninteresting things and, um, you know, some surprises and some things that aren't as surprising, kind of like the fact that they never nominate the movies that we want them to nominate, except this year was just a little bit different. So let's dive right in. Um, my overall thoughts of these nominations were I was pleased with a few things, uh, but overall, it's just kind of the same old, same old. And it's funny because I feel like last year was a kind of inflection point for the Oscars, right? Uh, for those of you that tuned in, it was in, I was going to say it's in person. It was all virtual. I watched it on TV, but they, they did a lot of different things during the Oscars. And I kind of liked it, but at the same time, they still ran really long. There still wasn't enough representation in certain aspects and certainly um, if we're talking about Marvel, there was uh, there was not a lot of Marvel to be found, and that's no different um, this year. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Marvel needs to dominate every single category. All I'm saying, and we'll get to this piece, is that certain films should be recognized for certain things, just as other films are recognized for certain things. So with that in mind, uh, let's dive in. I'm not going to talk about every single category, but um, I will hit on some of the bigger ones. So we've got, first off, Best picture, first one, right? We've got nominations for Belfast, uh, also a film called Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. So um, off the cuff, when I'm looking at this, there's some pretty big films that I feel like personally were left out, uh, one of them being uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And uh, before anyone grabs their pitchforks and torches, I just want to say the reason that I think Spider-Man No Way Home should be nominated, and if, if anything, I mean, they did it, they, they, they did it for Dune. Dune is nominated for Best Picture among many other categories, but it is not nominated for Best Directing. It's as if the Academy didn't realize that someone made the movie, that it just somehow appeared out of thin air and nobody was behind the scenes making such an incredible film. So poor, poor Denis Villeneuve is not on the best directing list. And I'm, I'm just saying the exact opposite for Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't need John Watts to be nominated. I don't need Zendaya to be nominated or um, Willem Dafoe. All I'm saying is this film got people back into the movie theaters. Obviously others did too. Shang-Chi did great. Eternals did pretty good. And I, Godzilla actually would have been another one as well that did really good. Uh, Fast Nine, 
but Spider-Man No Way Home was kind of a turning point, both in the content of the film and the fact that it is still making millions of dollars a day, which I don't understand how. Uh, but again, that to me is something that the Academy of the Motion Pictures should be recognizing. I don't need them to create a whole brand new most popular category. I just would like a nomination for Best Picture to say, hey, this is a picture that if not for movies like Spider-Man No Way Home, the rest of these movies wouldn't exist. And no more apparent is that this year when we're struggling to get people back into the theaters to enjoy such films as Belfast and Dune and Licorice Pizza, films that have barely been in theaters and that no one is going to see. So again, um, they are just doing a really great job of alienating themselves from a huge swath of uh, general audience goers. But again, hey, they're allowed to do whatever they want. That's it's the reason we have these talk pieces is the reason we complain. But um, beyond that, for Best Picture, I love that Dune got a nomination. I'm so happy about that. Uh, I, I haven't seen Licorice Pizza, but I'm excited to see it just because I am obsessed with Haim. And so the fact that Elena is in this movie is great. Kind of surprised she didn't get a nomination here since she got one for Golden Globe. Uh, another surprise, The Power of the Dog, a film that has way too many nominations on this film, on this piece. Um, I don't think there's a, I'm reading here to see, it doesn't, I'm not going to count. It doesn't deserve my counting. Uh, they have one too many is what I would say. Even one nomination for Power of the Dog is too many. And I know, I know Stevie and I talked about this in our top films, uh, that that was not a good movie. And I would love to hear from anybody who thinks that that film was good. Anyone but Harry Panko, because, uh, unless, hey, Harry, unless you can explain to us coherently why you think that film is good, uh, then you got to step off because I sat there, I paid attention, I was not on my phone. And that movie just lost me. It was it's so boring. The, the, the performances, they were fine. I loved seeing Kristen Dunst. I'm always a fan of Jesse Plemons. I enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch, and I did not enjoy him in this role. And also, um, Cody Smith-McPhee, same thing there. No, no, no disrespect to him. He's got to get his money any way that he can. But just the... There's just a lot of questions in this film of, of the biggest number one question being why. And so, boom, there you go. I still need to see Nightmare Alley, but I'm looking forward to that one. That's on HBO. Easy peasy. I uh, haven't seen Drive My Car or Coda or West Side Story, uh, but I will. My goal is to try and see all of those before we get to our full Oscars conversation closer to that time when we talk about our predictions. But those are just my overall thoughts on movies. Best directing. We got PTA for Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson. We got Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, Steven Spielberg for West Side Story, and Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. Uh, I've not seen Drive My Car. Glad to see, though, that, and I believe it's a foreign film. Glad to see that getting some love on the screens here. I think Kenneth Branagh uh, deserves a nomination. I'm sure Paul does as well. Jane. I'd, I'd kick Jane out and throw in uh, Denis right then and there. But, you know, you look at some of these other ones, too. And uh, I mean, I guess it's interesting when you have 10 nominees for Best Picture, but you only have five nominees for Best Directing. I guess it's going to fall out. But at the same time, come on, why is Denis not in there? Dune was a masterpiece. Um, but that's all the thoughts that I have on that. So actor in a leading role, you got Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. Interesting. 
Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. Why don't we give him a triple feature for Tick, Tick, Boom, Eyes of Tammy Faye, and Spider-Man No Way Home because um, he just deserves – he's on fire this year, absolutely on fire. Uh, You got Will Smith in King Richard, and you got Denzel Washington in Tragedy Macbeth. Haven't seen that one, uh, but again, I'm going to try to see – I'm trying to see at least all the Best Picture nominees – and then for the top actor and actress nominees as well. So with that in mind, uh, you got Jessica. I think this actress in a leading role, I enjoy some of these. And here we got Jessica Chastain for Eyes of Tammy Faye. I just recently watched that movie and it was awesome. Highly recommend it. Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter. That's on Netflix. Haven't seen it, but Olivia is always a sure bet when it comes to the Oscars. Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos. I'm surprised that uh, Nicole Kidman is not being nominated for Best Actress in um, a short film for the intro sequence that plays every single time we're in AMC theaters uh, when she says, you know, because here at the movies, it is. Oh, okay, great. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, Last one, Kristen Kristen Stewart for Spencer. And this is a a watershed moment. Uh, I, and I've said it before, I used to not be a a K-Stew fan back in the day, Uh, When I was, you know, in twilight times, I guess you could say, Uh, but she has grown on me significantly. If you need any sort of, you know, hey, where where do I go to see a really good Kristen Stewart movie? My, I would recommend uh, Personal Shopper. That's by, I believe that's by Olivia Esaias. Uh, That movie is awesome. Really good movie. Very haunting and uh a very good indie movie, I would say. And I, again, I, she's grown on me in Twilight as well. I've not seen Spencer yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I've heard some good things, and I've also heard some bad things, so I'm excited to just see. Uh, because anytime she's involved in anything, there's always going to be a little bit of push, a push and pull, right? I mean, there's people who love her, uh, and there's people who hate her. And so the fact that this is her first, I believe this is her first Oscar nomination, and this is also the first uh, openly gay uh, Oscar nominee since Ian McKellen in Lord of the Rings, which is insane to me. I feel like that should have been some, I feel like there should have been way more since then because there's been a lot of really great performances, but that's actress. Uh, we got actor in a supporting role. We got Syrian Hines in Belfast. And I'm going to pause here to say uh, for Belfast, we got him and we have Judy Dench for Belfast an actress in a supporting role. I thought Syrian did fantastic. He does not have a lot of screen time nor does Judy Dench. Uh, and I, I guess that's what I would point out for actress in a leading role. Catriona Balfe for Belfast. That's a miss. That's a huge snub. The other one that I would put in here too would have been um, Tessa Thompson in Passing. I thought she did a phenomenal job in that movie too. And uh, I wonder, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I, you know, who I would have thrown in here as well would have been... Uh, I'm blanking on her name, but from uh, The Harder They Fall, I wanted, I'm trying to think, it's not Angela Bassett, but um, she won a best, she won best actress in a supporting role. Regina, Regina King. There we go. Um, she won a couple years ago and uh, she definitely did a great job in that one. Uh, but there's also Troy Coaster for Coda, Jesse Plemons, Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, Cody Smith McPhee for Power of the Dog. I just can't, I mean, I hope Syrian Hines wins for Belfast because I can't speak to any of the other ones on there. I, I don't get why the power, two, two nominees from Power of the Dog and we couldn't throw anybody in from Dune. You got, you have, uh, what's it, Javier Bardem. 
is already nominated in here. You nominated for Ricardo's and not Dune? Okay, all right, fine. Uh, actress in a supporting role. You got Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, and Anjuane Ellis for King Richard. Uh, and I'd vote for either her or Kristen Dunst because, or Kristen Dunst. She, I thought she did a decent job. I just, I haven't seen her in a while. The last time I saw her was in, uh, I think it was called Woods Woodshock. And also in uh, what was the other movie that she just, oh, Melancholy, the uh, uh, Lars von Trier film. That was actually an incredible movie. So she's just, she's con consistently getting it. I think that's great. Um, and then the only other one I kind of wanted to talk around was animated feature film. We got some nominees in here from Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus The Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. And what I find interesting here. Um, and you can do the math. It's pretty obvious. Three out of five are Disney movies, which again, hey, if no one else is putting out good animated movies, I don't know what to tell you because I was in the theaters last night and there was a trailer for a movie called Bad Guys from DreamWorks. And I was just rolling my eyes the entire time. I don't get it. I don't get how you can't just get into a room and find a really cool new creative type of film. And it seems like we're just getting a lot more of the same. So, hey, congrats to Disney for getting so many um, nominations. I'm trying to see if there's any other standouts here. So you got a nominee nomination for costume design for Cruella. That's pretty cool. Um, good for them. Music, original score. Uh, Dune got nominated, which is great. Uh, but where's the Eternals nomination? Where's the Shang-Chi soundtrack nomination or song? Where's that best original song? Run it. Where's that? No one wants to talk about that. Uh, no Time to Die. James Bond got a couple nominations for sound and uh, also, I think, for special effects, which doesn't really make sense. Uh, let's see here. Film editing. Nothing fancy there. More of the same. Makeup and hairstyling. Tammy Faye got another one there, which I think is well-deserving. House of Gucci got a nomination there. And that's another thing I think people are talking about in terms of snubbery is that Lady Gaga and Jared Leto did not get nominated for that film. Look, I'm going to say the same thing that I'd say for Judy Dench. Just because a person is in a, in a movie does not mean they deserve to be nominated for an Oscar. And I stand by that. I have not seen House of Gucci. Maybe they have a, a great performance in there and they should be nominated. But all I'm saying is just because somebody like Meryl Streep or... I'm trying to think of some of the others, you know, the people, the ones that get nominated for every single thing that they're in. Uh, you don't, that, that shouldn't be a thing that you just is a guarantee. You, you need to earn it. Um, so the last one being visual effects, we've got five nominees for this Dune, Free Guy, Shang-Chi, No Time to Die and Spider-Man No Way Home. So it did get nominated. It's an Oscar nominated film, but so is the Suicide Squad. So uh, Oscar wise, again, it's I'm not certainly going to be throwing an Oscars party this year, uh, but I will be watching it. And just because I'm going to try and invest myself in as many of these movies as possible um, before they come out. And thankfully, or I guess ironically, many of these movies are already available on streaming. So uh, you can catch them all or almost all of them, just like Pokemon, right before the Oscars come out. Uh, I think West Side Story is soon to be coming to Disney+. Plus. Power of the Dog is on Netflix. Nightmare Alley is on HBO Max. Licorice Pizza, TBD. King Richard was on HBO Max. I don't think it's there anymore. Dune is probably about to be back on HBO Max. 
Drive My Car is not on anything. Don't Look Up is Netflix, Coda is Apple TV, and then Belfast, again, uh, not on anything yet, uh, but it's possible. I'm trying to remember. Actually, no, I'm thinking of Death on the Nile. That one was a Disney movie. So that is the Oscars. And now we will move into the movies that I saw. So on Tuesday, uh, my wife and I went on a little date to the theater to watch a little indie movie called Belfast, by written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, a film about a young boy in a working class Belfast family during the tumultuous late 1960s, according to IMDb's little summary there. Uh, it is a autobiographical movie in a sense, kind of based off of Kenneth Branagh's life. And that's almost what made this movie the most special because I don't know what it is, but I love Kenneth Branagh. And I don't think I realized it until I did have this double header of his films, because I think my, the first time that I experienced him was uh, probably the same for a lot of you, uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets as Gilderoy Lockhart. And then when I found out that he was a director, uh, and I think it would have been the next thing that I would have seen him in, and I'm going to double check my math, would have been Thor. He directed Thor. And uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, he's so famous for uh, a lot of uh, British and uh, kind of plays. He did King, he did Henry V, Hamlet, much, to, much Ado About Nothing. And so to see him in Harry Potter for the first time, I was like, oh, you know, this guy, he's, he's pretty funny. Uh, but then from there, to see him... Uh, uh, direct Thor was so cool. And I just remember being like, wait a minute. So he, he's a director too. That's pretty awesome. And from there though, it was like, he was, uh, I don't know what the word is, but he was bouncing between two worlds where you'd see him in a movie as an actor, and then you'd see him directing something and then back to back and forth and back and forth. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with him, and this is going to be a <laughs> Kenneth Branagh praise session in a sense, uh, he directed Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. He directed Thor, as we mentioned. Uh, some of the earliest things he directed, Henry V, he directed Much Ado About Nothing, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and Midwinter's Tale. So again, a lot of these more whimsical uh, Victorian type of movies. Uh, but he also directed Disney's Cinderella. He did Murder on the Orient Express, which is the, the movie that came out before this Death on the Nile. Uh, he also directed Artemis Fowl, which uh, I like to call an art most foul because uh, I don't think it was his fault, but that movie is absolutely terrible. And then he's got Belfast and Death on the Nile. But if you look at him as an actor too, he uh, has been in quite a bit. And one of the biggest things recently was he was Sator in uh, Tenet, which was really good. And that one I would say is a 10. And it all, also he was a voice, the voice of uh, the Asgardian distress call in Avengers Infinity War. And he was in Dunkirk as well. So he's all over the place. Like I said, he's absolutely on fire. Belfast is a really interesting movie. I rolled my eyes when I saw the trailer. I have made no secret that I'm not a huge fan of black and white movies anymore uh, as a new movies that are in black and white because we're in like it's, it's time for color. And I think that when black and white is used as an art form, I like it. But if we're just doing it because, oh, we want to make it look like an old movie, I'm not as big a fan. And so this movie did a really good job 
of turning it into an art form. So uh, the movie actually starts out in color in Belfast. And then that's the signal that we're going back in time is that it goes into black and white. And what I found probably one of my favorite parts of this movie is there's a couple of moments where, uh, and his, I believe his name is Jude Hill, um, little kid. And he's just absolutely adorable to call his name is buddy. Jude Hill plays buddy. He's got an older brother named Will played by Lewis McCaskey. Uh, his mom, Katriana Balve, and father, Pa, is Jamie Dornan from the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise. Uh, and then also, again, you got Judy Dench and Syrian Hines as Granny and Grandpa. And then there's a couple of other people that are in it as well, but those are the main ones. And he, uh, so we're seeing kind of the film through his eyes. And what I loved about this movie was the camera work that Kenneth does. Obviously, you know, he's got a great cinematographer as well. Apparently, it's his lifelong uh, it's a cinematographer that he's worked with in many other movies as well. But you see a lot of shots where you're watching it from Buddy's perspective to where the camera is angled up or angled at a level for, of a child, which is really cool because you see this. And I, I wonder if a lot of you have experienced this too. But as an example, like when I was a kid, uh, there'd be times when, you know, it'd be like late at night and we'd be driving home from, you know, visiting family or a friend's house or something like that, or just going out in general. And, you know, I, I like sleeping and I'd go to sleep in the back. Um, but then there'd just be moments where and I'm, I, maybe I'm misremembering, I would pretend to sleep so that my parents would carry me in. So I didn't have to walk, but there are other times where I would pretend to sleep so that I could listen to conversations and see if I could catch some adult type conversations because as kids, we always wanted to be adults. And this movie does such a good job of showing that there are so many scenes where a hush hush type, you know, kids shouldn't be around conversation is happening, whether that's in regards to the family's finances or to the troubles that are coming to Belfast. And that's kind of what this is framed around is the um, the fight. And I guess I wouldn't I don't know if you call it a fight. It definitely is in this movie, but between the Protestants and the Catholics. Just another example of, um, you know, just people not understanding each other and not wanting to deal with somebody who's different. And, and Ken does such a good job. I can call him Ken because he told me to. Um, he does such a good job of kind of juxtaposing this because there's this whole bit where, you know, they get invaded by a, like a mob, their little town. And then they have to put, you know, barriers up and suddenly everyone's under lockdown and you have to mark when you're leaving. And they're talking about the Catholics and saying, you know, oh, their their religion is just all fire and brimstone. And, and, you know, that's probably why they're not liked. And then the exact next scene is Buddy and his brother in church, a Protestant church, and the priest is screaming at them about how they're going to burn in hell. And so it was just a really cool way that Kenneth kind of bounces between both sides and presents this as more of a unbiased view of the incident and what happened versus taking a side, which I thought was really cool because there's a lot of really great jokes in here. Buddy has a great one where he's like, you know, I hear the Catholics, they have this thing called confession where um, God will forgive you for anything you ever done. So um, anything bad you do, you just go to confession and you're good. Mom, you know what that means, right? That means we don't have to go to church. We can just skip it for a while. And then when we go to confession, we'll have our sins forgiven. And uh, it was he was so cute in his delivery. But getting back to the sneaky conversations, 
Um, I just love it. There's, there's multiple scenes where they're having these really hard conversations like Katriana and Jamie, uh, Ma and Pa are talking about finances. And uh, it was cool in a sense, because they were really sad conversations of like, hey, you know, the father has taken out a bunch of loans and is struggling to, you know, they're basically struggling to make ends meet. And he's always away traveling. And um, but so like the camera is not on them. The camera is panned out further to show him listening. And so you would get it where he's, you know, the cameras maybe on him as he stands next to a window, listening in on his parents. And you're not the angle and framing is not around his parents, it's around him, but you're listening from the parents' perspective of what they're speaking on. So I loved that. I thought that was a really cool uh, cinematic kind of cinematography decision uh, to make. Uh, also some really cool things of just, you know, your coming of age type of movie. Um, but getting back to the very beginning of what I said, one of my favorite pieces of this film is the times that Buddy goes to the movies. And there's two times they go to see, I believe it's something like 10,000 BC or something like that. Uh, and and the everything is in black and white except for the movie. And so the movie, the, the few shots you see of the film are in color. And I thought that was amazing. They showed that film and then they showed uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And you got to see, you know, the whole family losing their minds when the car goes over the cliff and then ends up flying. And they're like freaking out on the edge of their seats. And I love that too. I love seeing anytime an old timey person is watching t uh, movies for the first time. And they're like, oh my goodness. Ah, I can't remember what that was in. It was like, uh, that might've been in passing. It was either in passing or in, I've been watching, I finished watching The Alienist. Uh, in one of those where it was like the first few movies that had ever been released. And they're like, oh, come down to the movie hall. We're watching this film about water. And it's like everyone's sitting in the theater and it's just, you know, on the screen, uh, water, like the ocean. It's, it's just a shot of the ocean, uh, you know, kind of the ebb and flow of the tide on the beach. And people are losing their minds. They're like, oh, no, I'm going to get wet. The water's going to get me. And it's like, no, it's just a movie. But they didn't know that back then because this is new technology. So really cool to see that, but more so because that's capturing Kenneth Branagh. These were those moments that you know he was pulling this from his memory because I, I feel like I fell in that same boat and so many other people, especially filmmakers, they have those moments where they're like, you know what? My life was hectic. My childhood was rough, but any time that I went into that theater and the lights went down, I mean, it's the reason why Nicole Kidman is making uh, AMC things as well, because in the movies, it's magical. It is that way. And so it was cool to see that that's what kind of inspired him to make movies. Um, the other cool thing is a little Easter egg if you catch it, uh, and I'll tell you about it because it's a blink and you miss it, but little buddy uh, on the side of the street is reading a Thor comic. And if uh, any of you remember, Kenneth Branagh took on the Thor project because he used to read the Thor comics when he was a kid. So that was a really cool call out to see as well. So overall, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. Uh, I give it an eight out of 10. I like, I, I think what mo pleased me the most was that I liked it more than I thought I would. And now I know for sure that I will not underestimate Kenneth Branagh going forward. So I won't spoil anything else. There's a lot I'm not going to mention for this movie. Go check it out. It is totally worth your time. And uh, it was just really cool to see, a, you know, go for two hours and visit Ireland in a sense. That was really fun. My wife and I really enjoyed it. There was another movie that I saw yesterday as well. I got a special fan screening of Death on the Nile. 
it was interesting because I, I've been really wanting to see this movie. I am a huge Agatha Christie fan. I grew up on 10 Little Indians or in Then They Were None, whichever way you'd like to call it. Uh, and then also a couple of others, I believe I had, and I, it's so sad. There's, there's books I used to have as a kid that I sold, uh, which is a theme for me. I ended up selling my stuff a lot, but I had like a three, I had a big hardcover of, I think it was, it was a, it was a Hercule Perot. I got to figure out Hercule Perot. It's name's Hercule Perot, but Poirot, Hercule Perot, uh, take it as you will. But it was a hardcover, three books. It was Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, and I believe the ABC Murders. I don't remember if that was a Perot one as well, uh, but I loved reading. This is when I was like in basically elementary school. I was in like fourth, fifth grade. I loved reading these mystery novels. She does such a good job capturing your attention and really struggling to figure out the mystery. You know, I, I don't like an easy mystery. And it had been so long, obviously, since I was a little kid that I read them. So when they made Murder on the Orient Express, I was like, oh, nice, awesome, okay, cool. Uh, and I really enjoyed that movie. I had a good time. Uh, and then they put out Death on the Nile and signed me up because it has all the things that I love. It's got, uh, it's got pyramids. It's got Egypt. It's got a boat, the Nile. And then you also have uh, Gal Gadot. And come on, she is probably one of... Um, the best people working right now. And I'm really glad that she was in this movie. But what's even more interesting about this film uh, is the controversy behind this film. And that comes from a one Army Hammer who is also in this movie. I will confess, I'm an Army Hammer fan of his films. And when it came out, all of the things that they uh, alleged, and I think they proved some of them too, around some very, very, very creepy and disturbing and disgusting behavior by him. Uh, I, it, it was no question, very easy to drop him as a person on my, uh, my Hollywood favorite list. But uh, it's same too. Letitia writes in here as well. And she's had some, some stirrups too with her uh, anti-vax comments and a couple of other pieces as well. So it's funny. This was a film surrounded by quite a bit of controversy. This movie was supposed to come out last year. Actually, I think this movie was supposed to come out in 2020 and it got pushed back due to uh, COVID. And then it got pushed back again, no doubt, due to the controversy with Mr. Hammer. And also because I think Disney wanted to distance themselves from the film, uh, but they knew they had to release it because, again, this is a 20th Century Studios movie. So Fox made this film and then Disney bought Fox. And so they had to release it by contract. Otherwise, they would have just probably thrown it on Hulu. But I'm glad they did. I'm glad they put it out there. And I, I've said this before. I've heard other people say, and I completely agree. Uh, it is absolutely shameful what Army did and uh, others as well. And I'm sure there are other people in the cast that have done things too that we won't know about and may never know about. But uh, the actions of one person or of a couple of people on the crew of a film uh, should not be the decision to pull that film due to all of the hard work of everybody else on the film, the writers, the crew, the extras. I mean, every movie, you look at those credits when they roll and there's hundreds, if not maybe thousands of people involved on a movie. And you're essentially saying, no, we're not going to honor any of the work that any of you did because of the actions of one person. And so I do stand on that to say, I'm glad that they released it. Uh, and I think it's funny because I'm going, okay, and I'm going to talk spoilers for Death on the Nile. 
Uh, I'm going to make them very, very light spoilers, and I will let you guys know when I get into them so that you can skip ahead if you want to skip, since this movie is not even out yet. This movie comes out and premieres tonight. Uh, but only to say that uh, for those of you that are anti-Army Hammer, uh, I think you're going to enjoy this movie because, <laughs> because uh, and, and I'm not, I'm going to throw you off the scent on this. I'm not going to reveal, you know, who that's what we're looking for, right? Death on the Nile. Uh, somebody dies and uh, we have to investigate who the killer is, right? Hercule Perot has to investigate. And uh, who is that killer? I will not say who the killer is. I'm not going to spoil that, but uh, at the beginning of the film, uh, and I didn't know even the, ba- the backstory on it, so I didn't read any of it. But at the very beginning, uh, the opening scene of this movie, in fact, actually, the opening scene is really cool. It's, it's uh, I won't spoil what it is. It's a flashback. But uh, when we get to the current day, so technically the second scene of the movie, Army Hammer is in it and he is playing. Uh, I, I almost wonder if they just said, hey, Army, just be yourself, because he is an absolute sleaze bag in this movie. He's a piece of crap, uh, garbage man. And I kept thinking, like, is this the reason why they're going to release this? Like, they were so okay releasing it is because Army ends up just being a total, uh, you know, garbage human that just gets killed right away. Like, to me, that sounds awesome. Uh, that didn't end up happening. But uh, I, you know, I was still remaining hopeful. So that, that's what I say when I say if you weren't a fan of Army, you're, you're going to enjoy uh, his performance in the sense that you will not be finding any sympathy for him because, uh, he is a sleaze in the movie by by design. And so I almost wonder if they're like, hey, this is perfect. Like, this is not going to get him any extra goodwill. This is not going to boost his standing at all. If anything, people are just going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because, you know, he's a terrible guy. Um, so that was really funny. And I enjoyed that for that. Uh, I really liked the backstory we do get on our main character, Hercule Poirot, uh, Poirot and uh, really cool, the theme of love in this film. So we see it in this opening scene that's in, and this was even funnier. The opening scene is in black and white and none of the rest of the movie is in black and white, except this opening scene. I'm like, man, Kenneth, you are enjoying doing your black and white stuff here, aren't you? Uh, but he has a really, really touching scene with uh, a woman that he loves in this movie. And, and something that I don't think I even knew uh, or other people knew about him and some of the insecurities that he has and that kind of feeds into the theme of this movie. And, and it really is about love, which I thought was really cool because every single person on the boat, every single person that's in, you know, part of this Nile cruise or however you want to call it, they all have a different relationship with love. And so I think that's the overall theme of this movie is just the understanding of the power of love, both on a very good perspective and in a very bad perspective, obviously. And there's a lot of really great metaphors in here. There's a lot of really great discussions that he has with people, you know, and then obviously, you know, he gets to the point of starting to accuse people and he just is such a badass whenever he's doing it. He's so smart. He catches every detail, which is awesome. There's also a shot in this movie that keeps standing out to me when I think back to it. And so I'm going to call it out. It is in no way a spoiler, um, but hopefully that you appreciate it the same way. There's a scene where he's discussing Uh, And I don't even remember who it's with. It might be with his buddy uh, book, who uh, is kind of the guy who pulls him into this. And they're talking out on the deck of the ship and the camera is not on their faces. Like, you know, so they're both sitting in wicker chairs 
and they're large wicker chairs. So like their heads up to the top of the back of the wicker chair sort of thing, I think is how it was. And so instead of having the camera in front of them to show them both sitting on these wicker chairs, the camera is behind them, behind the wicker chair. So the entire screen is wicker and you see their faces in between. It almost looks like a church confessional. And I thought that that was such a cool camera choice. And it reminded me of Belfast in that sense of, you get the feeling that you're not supposed to be there during that conversation, that you as the audience member are sneaking in and getting a sneak peek of what the detective is talking about. So I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, tons of stars in here. You got Annette Benning. Uh, she did a great job. Russell Brand uh, with a, sh a basically shaved head in a sense. He doesn't have his long hair, does not get a lot of lines. But he does not play himself, which I thought was really cool. Uh, again, Kenneth Branagh absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I'm trying to think of a couple of the others. There were some that I was like, no way. Uh, let's find this cast. Uh, because I think they, that's the other thing too. <laughs> if you go on IMDb, the list of the cast is uh, they tried as hard as they could to put Army Hammer as far on down in the cast list as possible. So I had to do some scrolling myself. Um, so Letitia Wright, she did an awesome job. She's got a American, she has an American accent, which I, I've not seen her in yet. So I thought that was great. Sophia Okanendo or Okanido, she plays uh, Letitia's aunt, who is a singer. And I was like, oh man, there's a lot of people in here that I was like, I've seen them in something. I've seen them. I don't know what it is. She was in Ace Ventura when nature calls. So if you've got any Ace fans out there, uh, now you know. And then there was, again, you got Army Hammer. Uh, like I said, I thought he did a good job. He did a fine job doing what he needed to do, playing a terrible human. And I'm sure that's because it did not take him uh, that much stress to get into that role. Gal Gadot was amazing. She actually had some really good scenes and maybe some of, I'm trying to think of her other films. Uh, I would almost say some of her best work because oftentimes I feel like she can be a little stiff uh, in some instances, and she just comes up as being so cool. And she does in this movie too, but she also has some really emotional moments in this one too. Uh, we've got, uh, is her name Rose Leslie as Louise uh, Burgett? And I think this is who we're looking for Jennifer Saunders and Don French. Uh, so let's see, Ali, Ali Fazal uh, plays in it as well. He was in Furious Seven, but I thought he did a good job. Um, I won't say anything more than that. Jennifer Saunders. So she's in this film and Jennifer Saunders is from, okay. She was in Muppet treasure Island. And so if any of you are fans of that film, she is the barmaid barkeep at the very beginning that uh, Jim and uh, Gonzo and Rizzo all work at the bar. She is the barmaid, which I was like, she looks way different now. Cause she's a lot older um, she looks a lot better than she did in that movie. But uh, again, I didn't catch it during the film. And then her, her, her uh, what is it called? House nurse, home nurse uh, is played by Dawn French. Same thing there. I was like, who is Dawn French? And funny enough, I think her, I think the two of them are in cahoots because they're both in Coraline. And I'm wondering if they both play the ants in Coraline. Uh, but she's also the fat lady from Harry Potter. Uh, in Prisoner of Azkaban, the one that says, it's Sirius Black. 
she uh, does a great job too. Everyone does a good job. I don't think anyone puts on a bad performance in this movie, but these are the kind of movies that I love because somehow they're able to pull in so many different stars. And they did that in the last one when they had like Daisy Ridley in there. Uh, So this was cool. I thought it was a great cast. Interesting mystery. I will say when you go into a movie, knowing that there's a mystery like this, I was trying to guess suspects at the very beginning of the film And I got to a point where I kind of guessed the ending. I still enjoyed it at the end, but it was more of like a, yeah, you were, you were kind of right. Like I wasn't exactly right. And it didn't make me mad that I had kind of guessed it, but it was cool. Still. I was like, nice. This is, this is cool. So um, great story, really beautiful to look at too. I mean, when you're, I saw it in Dolby and you've got just gorgeous shots of pyramids and the Nile, the Sphinx, Uh, they get to go to Abu Simbel, which was amazing. Uh, just again, as a fan, fan of the mummy, a fan of ancient Egypt, love it when we can see this. And they also get some cool shout outs too, in terms of kind of going against high society, which was nice to see because, you know, we've had hundreds of movies of rich people doing rich things and, and no one says a word. And so it was nice to get a couple of college. You'll know it when I see it, it's going to come from uh, the barmaid from uh um, up at treasure Island. But like I said, I thought it was really good. Gave that a seven out of 10. Again, uh, if it had been maybe just a little more, I, I don't even know what more it could have been, but safe to say, I would recommend both of these movies to check out if you're interested and especially death on the Nile. If you were a fan of Agatha Christie, if you're a fan of mystery movies, uh, though, again, I wonder if this will come straight to Hulu at some point after it's done with its theatrical run. So we'll have to see when we get to that point. But yeah, those were the two movies that I saw in this week. Uh, and I'm glad that I got to talk about both of them. It's not often that you see two movies two days in a row from the exact same director. So highly recommend both Belfast and Death on the Nile. But that is going to do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. So thank you guys again so much for listening. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies.